So I am eager this morning to move along in our study in the book of Jonah, God's reluctant prophet. You'll see this beautiful graphic that Caitlin made for us. Thank you, Caitlin, who manages our social media and graphic design in the church. And um, I'm really looking forward to looking through it. Uh, it's, it's, it's growing to become my favorite Old Testament book as I've studied it and enjoyed its, its, its teaching. And Jonah is, Jonah is truly just a unique book, as I found in the Bible, as I studied it. Even among the 12 prophets, the 12 minor prophets of which it is situated, it's very different from the other ones and very unique within the Bible itself for a number of reasons. So whenever we come to a book in the Bible, we first need to ask the question before reading it, what is the genre of the book that we're looking at? And knowing the genre tells us how we're supposed to take in that book and understand it according to the way it was originally written by the original author as they were inspired by God. So different genres in the Bible are, are things like historical narrative, like in First and Second Samuel or Genesis. Uh, the law, you know, you read about Exodus and Leviticus. A lot of people, when they're reading through the Bible, they get lost in Leviticus and they just get discouraged and they stop because it's a lot of laws in Leviticus. There is poetry in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is a library of different types of genres. The Psalms, the Song of Solomon. Uh, there's what's called wisdom literature, the Proverbs uh, and Ecclesiastes. There's prophetic books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Jonah falls in this category today. And there's apocalyptic literature, which is, which is Daniel, Revelation, things like that. Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And epistles, we just finished with First and Second Thessalonians. They were epistles, which means letters to the churches from the apostles. And sometimes there's, even, there's a mix of different types of literature and genre within a single book. But genre is how we fundamentally know how to approach each book we come to in the Word of God, knowing what the original author intended it to be. And so to notice the genre is to honor the Word of God by taking it as it was originally given, um, as originally inspired by God. And my desire is always to honor the original intention of the writer of the Word of God. So Jonah, as I said, is classified as belonging to among the other 12 prophets, but is very different from the other 11 minor prophets, which makes the question of genre more difficult to answer for the honest student of the Word of God. And it's honestly been more challenging to me to classify what type of book we're looking at, um, and that is the reason I have questioned if it belongs in the same genre as the other minor prophets. It appears to be plain history at first blush, and we know it's based on a real person who actually lived in the 8th century B.C. named Jonah, who even Jesus mentions in Matthew 12. But beyond those historical details, it's missing a lot of the other clues in the text that would tell us uh, what genre this is, which makes it unusual. And it, ha and it holds a lot of distinguishing marks from the other books. So it it's taken me a while to figure out what is the genre of this book. And looking at the differences between Jonah and the other minor prophets, has made myself and some of the other conservative Bible-believing Christians wonder if it should be classified as a prophet in the technical sense. Now, something I'm sure of, but something my honest thinking uh, looking at the book. And this is the line of thinking that I explored with you all last week when I shared that I believe that Jonah was likely a historical parable, such as the stories Jesus told in Matthew, Luke, and John. Uh, in Luke 16, uh, I shared the, the parable uh, the Word of God, where Jesus makes a theological point meant to convict his readers uh, with a story based on historical people, Abraham and Lazarus, but it was a parable. It, wasn't, it was actually a, a, a crafted tale using historical figures to tell a story. And last week I shared that I believe that Jonah 
is like an Old Testament parable crafted by a human writer inspired by God, meant to convict Israel as well as us as modern readers of our sin so that we might repent and be changed by God's grace working in our lives. And I understand that this kind of claim really does hit a nerve sometimes for, for people that study the Bible and take it seriously, like, like yourselves and myself. And this can rub people the wrong way. And I understand the reasons for that and sympathize with them. But I wanted to encourage you this morning just not to let your immediate reaction to me saying this dictate how you feel about the entire book because there are good reasons to look at the book as possibly being a parable. But as always in the case with the Bible study, what I'm doing when I'm looking at the, the classification is what is the genre of this book? Is it the same as the other prophets? And like you, I'm always trying to understand the word of God and to know what God is saying to me through it. So I'm sorry if I caused anyone offense with the sermon last week. And I don't think that anyone is better or worse, more or less intelligent or spiritual if they read Jonah differently um, than another Christian because it is an exceptionally difficult book to classify. But I think in my enthusiasm for learning about the book, I spoke prematurely perhaps and hit a nerve for people uh, when I said, and this is, really, this is actually funny when I look back at it, that it may not be a historical book after all, but maybe a historically based parable. And I said, the highly triggering language, a historically fictitious parable. So that really freaked people people out, which understandably so. Um, but that is not at all the heart I had behind classifying. I just wanted to present last week that Jonah is not necessarily, uh, the genre of it is not as black and white as it appears to be at first blush, that people have different thoughts about it. And on a personal note, even though it's hard to believe, sometimes pastors such as myself go through times of learning where they don't know exactly what they think about something. And uh, there's a real lack of time sometimes to come to your conclusions uh, because you're preaching every week for the most part. And so uh, sometimes it takes more time to, to figure things out as you go. But my desire is so much to honor the Word of God, to share it with you, um, to, to share it with you as historically uh, intended by the author and as written so that we can hear God speak to us. And I, and I certainly believe that Jonah very well could be a historical book. I just thought it had some unique features that caused me to question that for a moment. So with that, you know, I have no, no issue or agenda in terms of stripping Jonah of its supernatural um, parts or anything like that. It just seemed different to me. So I wanted to get that out of the way in, uh, before we get into the sermon. I think, it's, I think it's very safe to say that Jonah is very likely a historical story that contains some extremely unique elements that make it stand out among the other book in the Minor Prophets. So in this story, we're going to see a lot about who God is. We're going to see how God works with people who are his people, like Jonah, and how God works with people outside of his people, like the Ninevites who are from Assyria, Israel's enemies. And I think we're going to learn a lot about Jonah in this book. And if you want to talk more about the background of the book, I'm obsessed with it right now, so call me and email me. We can do that. I'll buy you coffee. We'll talk about Jonah. Because it gets deeper and deeper as the fish brings you down. That's what I'll say. But in this story, as we read it, we have to recognize that in this story, very, uh, very strongly, Jonah is not, though he is the prophet of God, he is not the hero of the, of the story. The hero of the story is God Almighty who calls Jonah. And Jonah, um, you're going to want to not identify with Jonah, but you will find that uh, you're more like Jonah than you like any of the other characters in the book as we read it. And I think that's a really good thing to, uh, to consider. So I'd like to read straight out of the book uh, from chapters 1 and 2. 
And as I read this, I encourage you to see yourself in Jonah, to see yourself in this story. Um, The author clearly wants us to consider our ways to think about how we think, how we function, how we relate to God and others who we consider our enemies, and to confront those things in our own hearts, even as we read the account of this man who ran from God famously. So, with that, Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah starts like any other of the prophets, like Hosea has the same words. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, right? But the similarities seemingly stop there. After the word of God comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, he is commissioned to be the very first and only Old Testament prophet sent to a non-Jewish people to warn them about God's judgment. He's the only one that's sent, not to God's people like the other prophets, but to another people to warn them about God's judgment. So Jonah is sent to the nation of Assyria, Israel's greatest historic enemy, to the capital city of Nineveh. And, and it's just such a shocking thing to think no other prophet at this time in history had done this before. Uh, this shows us an echo of God's concern, not just for his own people of Israel, but he's also concerned about the nations of the earth. And that is reflected in God's covenant that he made with Abraham, where he said, through Abraham's offspring, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. It shows that God doesn't care just about his own people, but about, but about all the nations of the earth as well. And he's concerned for them, even as he is judging them for their misbehavior. So at the beginning of this account, um, God is aware of the state of every person and every nation on the earth. He's aware of the exceeding wickedness of the Ninevites in Assyria. Uh, and we will see that he is completely aware of Jonah and how crooked his ways are as well. And so even in these first couple lines where it says, go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me, we see that God does not approve of all of the ways of people or of societies. And one day he will set things right. But until then, God has righteous judgments of societies and people uh, that are living in sin and living against God's ways. So, so Jonah is sent to Assyria, to Nineveh, to warn them because God is fully aware of their wickedness and, and Jonah is sent to preach against it. It's interesting to think, you know, sometimes we think about God judging a, a nation or judging a person and we think, you know, don't judge me. I don't like to be judged by anybody um, first of all, if anyone deserves to judge us, it's God who created us and his intentions for us are, are clear. But um, secondly, if there was no judgment for sin, this world would have no justice in it. You think about it. Like, do you really want the events of the Holocaust to go unjustified? Do we want, the, do we want murder and genocide around the world? Do we want God to be okay with all that stuff? I mean... It's kind of one of those things where we don't want God to judge people and, th- and, and nations, but at the same time, him not judging them and not having an opinion about them is rather horrific. And so the Ninevites, if you understood what they were about, you would find their practices very barbaric and horrific, you know, skinning people alive, torturing people, murdering people in front of their, murdering children in front of their parents, like the, mo- the w- most wicked uh, things that we can imagine in our modern day that have happened around the world. And so, do we really not want God to have a judgment against something like that? Of course, I think when we think about it, um, we're glad that he does. And Jonah tells 
God tells Jonah to preach against Nineveh because he'd seen the wickedness in, in uh, Nineveh and taken note of it. And he doesn't want to allow it to continue as it's currently going. And uh, it should be noted that God does not give Jonah a message that says he will pardon them if they repent. He simply wants Jonah to warn them of a judgment that's coming. And, uh, and, and, and of course, we know that God, who knows everything, knows how they will respond. And we find out later, so does Jonah. God knows that they will repent of their sin, just hearing the preaching of Jonah. Um, because they say to themselves, perhaps God will have mercy on us. Um, but it's interesting that God reaches out even to a very wicked nation like this and offers true forgiveness, restoration, if they will repent of their sins and walk away, which is really, really cool to think about. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare there, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is another way in which Jonah is totally different from the other prophets in the Old Testament because he doesn't do what God says. Um, Hosea, God told Hosea to marry a prostitute to make a point to his people Israel that they have been cheating on him. And Hosea does it. God tells Hosea to take his wife back after she is being unfaithful to him. And he does it. The, the prophets obey God. Jonah runs from God. Never a good idea. Probably. Right? He's God. He knows everything. Furthermore, you think a prophet would know that you cannot flee from God or hide from God. But Jonah seems to be naive to these things. And here we saw last week a prophet defying what God clearly tells him to do. Not only disobeying, but if God says go by land, Jonah goes by sea. If God says go east, Jonah goes west. <laughs> um, pretty much, if you look at where Tarshish is, it's as far west as you can possibly go in the known world. So as far away as possible from what God wanted him to do, to run from the mission that God had clearly given to him. But, in God's mercy, here we see that God is not going to allow this to continue, both for Jonah's good and for the good of Nineveh, to Jonah's horror. <laughs> God wants Nineveh to repent. Verse 4. And we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter here. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to one each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Just kind of laughable that he, that he worships the God of heaven who made the sea, yet he's running from the God of heaven who made the sea. Um, Jonah's really very um, misinformed here. This terrified the sailors who did not know Jonah's God, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah disobeys God. He even goes in the opposite direction of where God has called him to do, as far as humanly possible at the time. And I think if Jonah had had a personal jet, and God said, go by land, he would have gone by jet. As far away, maybe he would have flown to the moon on, on a rocket ship. By land, God said, go by land, he went by sea. God said, go east, he went west. And then, he hides in the lowest part of the ship and falls asleep. And as I said, running from God is never a good idea like this. It's never a good idea. And this is something that we ought to take to heart. I mean, God is merciful to Jonah in this story and merciful to everyone, but Jonah's Jonah's disobedience does result in some consequences, not only in his life, but in the lives of the sailors who were innocent uh, he was sailing with. In fact, it almost killed the people in the ship that he was, had jumped aboard in this crazy storm. There were consequences uh, even immediately to Jonah's disobedience. And as Tim Keller has, has said, and this has always stuck with me when talking about Jonah, there's always a storm attached to disobedience to God's word. There's always a storm attached to sin. You know, Jonah disobeys God, runs in the opposite direction, and immediately the fierce storm gets whipped up, which threatens to take both Jonah and the sailors out. But in God's plan, God in his sovereignty and in his care and concern for everybody, not just Jonah, but for his enemies and for the people on the, on the ship as well, um, God even uses Jonah's disobedience to further his mission in the world of saving the Gentile sailors on the boat. And the, the Gentile sailors in the boat who do not know Jonah's God and are worshiping just any old God, they end up cr- putting their faith in Jonah's God, crying out to Jonah's God, and making vows and offering sacrifices to Jonah's God. And if you know about sacrifices, a lot, a lot of times they're burned. And so we're talking about people that make vows for a future time. They, they, they go from the ship and they, and they worship Israel's God. Jonah, the prophet who brought this calamity on them, brought a storm on them with his disobedience and sin. But in God's mercy and God's greatness and his control of all things, he saves and converts these sailors to faith in him. And they make a commitment to Jonah's God. And in this, we can see ourselves, even as we look into into the story of Jonah, and we are reminded that sin always comes with a storm attached to it whether a fierce storm or a mild storm. And sometimes those storms take a while to brew. Most of our lives, I think that our disobedience takes a while to brew. But in Jonah's case, it brewed very quickly. And sometimes those storms can whip up into a moment like Jonah's storm that's extremely terrifying and dangerous to other people. But nonetheless, disobedience to God will always carry with it consequences, unintended consequences oftentimes, but consequences nonetheless, scars, But it's good to see that God in his mercy reaches out to the sinner in all of us time and time again in love, challenging us to follow him again. You look at Jonah, 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He ran in the opposite direction, into the hold, into the sea, uh, turns away completely from God. The storm whips up, and God reaches out to Jonah again, even through these non-believing sailors who preserve Jonah's life as much as they can before finally casting him overboard with a prayer to God for God's protection, coming to faith in, in Jonah's God themselves, and, God, and Jonah being surrendered into the sea. And we will see in this story that God's grace and mercy extends to Jonah even in the deepest part of his disobedience. Even as he's run in the wrong direction as fast as he can, God's grace finds Jonah. Jonah finds salvation. And we're going to read about that next week as Jonah finds, uh, finds salvation inside the giant fish. So we're going to look at Jonah's prayer next week. But in this, we are seeing God's grace and God's sovereignty over all things, that he can use anything even the storms of, of disobedience as Jonah, to bring about his purposes. But that every time uh, we walk away from God's purposes, we must understand there is a storm attached to it. It's better if God tells you to go left, to go left. That's all I'm saying. Or if God tells you to go right, go right. Because God lovingly knows be what's best for all of us. So I'd like to pray and um, join, me, join me as we pray uh, over this lesson. God, I thank you so much for this story, Lord, for, for what it tells us about who you are, about your, your sovereignty, your influence and control over all things, the way that you, you, you redeem even our sin and, and the suffering we cause to bring about your purposes, the way that you always reach out to us again and again, inviting us uh, once again into obedience and to following you, uh, even when we have really gone the wrong way as fast as we can. I pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord. Um, many times we don't seem to be able to come to our senses until we hit the rock bottom, until we go to the depths. I pray that in your mercy you would point out the things in our lives. There are storms that are brewing, God, um, attached to our disobedience, that we'd repent of these things and we'd come um, to find the grace and mercy of God for both for us and for those around us. Bless you with faith to follow wherever God calls you in obedience. According to his love and mercy that you would find redemption in your life and find the satisfaction of walking in step with the Spirit. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to go and be the church. You are dismissed.